My name is Dr. Reese Granger. Welcome to Head First, the Concussion Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Head First, the Concussion Podcast. In this episode, we're going to go over an overview, definitions, and epidemiology of concussion. So before we start, I want you as a listener to always ask yourself when reading or hearing something about concussion, either in a journal article or particularly in the media, the five W's and one H. This is who, what, when, where, how, and why. These don't always line up and are applicable with questions that are being asked. However, when you do ask these questions, you'll get a clearer indication and a framework of the question and the answer that's being provided or proposed and will allow you to dispute the possibility of misinformation, whether it be deliberate or accidental due to interpretation. The first thing that comes to my mind now on this one of what I was saying is helmets and how they've been presented previously before the clear indication in the research come out that helmets did nothing. Now let's be clear, helmets do nothing in terms of preventing concussion. So how this come about was, media were presenting helmets that they had a possibility to help with concussion or prevent concussion, images of mums and dads down at the local sports ground saying they felt safer, and now in a lot of underage contact sport, you see all these children wearing helmets that it's mandatory by the governing body. However, as stated, helmets do not prevent concussion. They protect your skull from fractures. So now this is where you ask how and why does or doesn't a helmet prevent a concussion? So, if you imagine you've got a glass of water with a ping pong ball inside that glass of water, okay? Now you shake that glass of water back and forth. The ping pong ball is gonna hit the sides of the glass of water. Now that's your brain in the fluid in your skull, hitting the inside of your skull. Now, wrap that glass of water up in some cushioning and now shake that glass of water back and forth again with a ping pong ball in there it's still going to hit the sides. All you've done is reinforce and protect the glass on the outside. That's our brain inside our skull. And that's what happens when you wear a helmet. It's on the outside of your skull. It's going to help protect from fractures and surface injuries in the head, but it's not going to protect the brain. Then they've also found, which the research understandably is a bit light on in this area because of very small sample size, is that found people that wear helmets tend to get concussed more. Why is this, you ask? The only way that they've been able to decipher this is that when you wear a helmet, you think that you're safer and you're more protected, so you go harder at the ball, putting yourself in more danger. And they found likewise is actually with the player on the opposition team running at the ball, they'll look at you and also feel that he's wearing a helmet, I can hit him or her harder. I'm not saying this is correct or incorrect. This is what they found based on the limited evidence and data that they're able to collect and analyze. Now on with the rest of the show. So there's a thing called the Concussion in Sports Group, which you will hear about or abbreviated to CISG. In this group, it's a bunch of researchers that gather every four years to discuss and make decision of all things concussion based on the latest research, data and evidence they have. This governing body provides a lot of input and shapes a lot of the concussion protocols throughout the governing sports bodies all throughout the world, from the NFL, Rugby Union, the AFL. To date, I believe there's been six conferences, with the latest being in 
Amsterdam in October 2022. Okay, so now the million dollar question, what is a concussion? A quick overview on this before in the next episodes preceding this, we get right into the nuts and bolts of how a concussion works and plays out on a physiological and a cellular level. So a concussion is an energy deficit disorder and is diagnosed by a process of exclusion of underlying pathologies. A quick example of this would be ruling out a subdural hematoma when you've been hit in the head. So we have three layers of the brain, the dura matter, arachnoid matter, and pia matter. Subdural hematomas bleed in between the dura and the arachnoid matter. It's in the name, sub meaning below, dura, the location, and then your hematoma, collection or pooling of blood, basically. Both these injuries are caused by a direct blow to the head and have overlapping signs and symptoms. So signs can be observed by another person and are objective in nature, whereas a symptom is perceived by the individual and is subjective. So we look at a common cold, a runny nose is a sign because I can see it, whereas the sinus pain you're feeling is a symptom because it's coming from yourself and I can't see it. That's how you're perceiving it. So McCory and Attle in 2017 from the consensus statement of concussion in sport described sports-related concussions as a traumatic brain injury induced by biomechanical forces. It also states concussion can result from a direct blow from anywhere on the body, including but not limited to the head. So when we get hit in the body, the impulse or the force is transmitted to the head, causing a concussion in a whiplash-like action. So remember that glass of water with a ping-pong ball in the middle? Now you shake it, whiplash type action when you get hit in the body with that impulsive force being transmitted. I'll explain more on this in up and coming episodes in greater detail which will be broken down. So concussion for the most part are a quick and rapid onset with impending neurological impairments which are short lived and can resolve spontaneously by themselves and this is most of the time this happens however some signs and symptoms can last minutes, hours or even days. Clinical signs and symptoms generally reflect through functional disturbances and not through structural. So nothing will be seen on imaging. Everything will look normal. Cognitive and clinical features tend to resolve as said before, but they're not prolonged. A myth is that you have to lose consciousness to be concussed and show fencing response, which is the contracted hands we all associate with concussion. However, this is not true. You do not have to lose consciousness to be concussed. Lastly, nothing explains the present signs and symptoms that you are showing. So, be this drugs, medications, previous injuries. So again, just to wrap this up, concussion is an energy deficit disorder and is diagnosed by a process of exclusion. Now, in Australia, it's important to note only a medical doctor can diagnose you with concussion. Overseas in other countries... Physiotherapists, osteopaths, chiropractors can diagnose concussions, but in Australia, only a medical doctor can diagnose you with a concussion. So moving on, we've got some quick definitions and terminologies of concussion. Concussion is classed as a mild traumatic brain injury. Shorthand writing, you'll mostly see this as an MTBI, mild traumatic brain injury. Brain injuries are classified on the Glasgow Coma Scale, being either mild, moderate, or severe, these categories are rated of a score of 15. These scores are tallied based on eye response. Can you open and close your eyes? Can you move your eyes for me? A verbal response. Can you speak to me? 
and motor or movement can you move? So the scoring works mild hand injury score is of 13 or 14 out of an overall score of 15, a moderate head injury score of 9 to 12 out of an overall score of 15, and a severe head injury score is between 3 to 8 out of an overall score of 15. To put this in perspective, if you have a severe head injury, very poor prognosis, moderate head injury, again, not so great. You're looking at some neurological deficits long-term, mild head injury, most of the time you're going to recover. Before all the latest research and reclassifications of concussion was classified and graded at a 1 to 3 scale based on the loss of consciousness at the time, however, we know this to be incorrect. And this is also where you had to lose consciousness to be concussed come from. So again, research evolves, terminology evolves, old research that we knew to a certain point stays around, then turns, in, turns into a little bit of misinformation, and then we can see how there's then conflicting evidence and conflicting results, and people get extremely confused. And again, as stated, this is what I'm here to try and help and provide the latest evidence that we're given at this point in time. So who is concussed and what age groups are concussed? Anybody can be concussed, any age group, and any gender. It's important also to note that when numbers are put out due to concussion and who suffered a concussion, they're always arbitrary as some studies look at cases which present to the emergency departments and others are based off self-reporting. It's also highly likely that with all this research in the area, the under-reporting of concussion is huge. So not all concussions are going to go to ER and not everyone's going to self-report a concussion. So therefore, we're not getting everybody that's concussed. However, we can only do the best we can with the research and the number that we're provided, and all the data is invaluable. Concussion can happen at work, car accidents, trips, falls, in the army. Most notably, happens in sports, because that's what we're exposed to throughout the media all the time. And sport makes up approximately 50% of all reported concussions. Now, females are up to 1.7 times more likely to suffer a concussion than males. And we go back to our question, why is this? It's one of them unfortunate statements we don't know. We're not 100% sure. Could be a couple factors. Could be under-reporting by the male counterparts due to got a tough-it-out mentality and they still want to keep playing sport. But then you ask the other question that I know some female athletes that are exactly the same and incredible at what they do. So... I'm not really sold on that. Theory of neck muscle and strength has been proposed. Again, this has come out and neck strength musculature has no correlation to do anything with a concussion. By the time you actually think, I'm going to get hit, I've got to tense my neck, tighten my muscles and brace for contact, just ask yourself, why don't you move out of the way? It's the exact same reaction time for both. However, overall, it looks like it's biomechanical chemical and hormonal balances that's the highest probable case but yet we just don't know why don't we just test all these variables and find out with good question however good quality research takes long periods of time and use this topic as an example every time you answer a question or a hypothesis that's been proposed usually it gives rise to more questions okay so taking the who suffers a concussion more male or female question who has worse symptoms it's the first question you need to ask. Two different questions, yet somewhat related. The next question is why. Okay, so 
Everything we test the female population for needs to be tested against the male population. Now you have hormones are naturally different in both populations than when you're testing the female. Are you testing her during a menstrual cycle? Are you testing her when she's not having a menstrual cycle? And then is she suffering from amenorrhea, which is the irregularity or loss of a menstrual cycle? So you got the female population, you have to test three different subsets in the one population and then compare all that to the male. So as we can see, one question has given rise to three more separately but all interrelated questions. I hope this clears this up a little bit. Okay, so how many people get concussed playing sport? When there's a study that's broken down per sport and then it's done as a collective, in 2018, Piran and Atul conducted a systematic review of this and they measured it in the per thousand athlete engagements. So three out of a thousand rugby union players will suffer a concussion, 2.5 NFL players out of the thousand will suffer a concussion, women's hockey is 2.27, men's hockey is 1.63, women's soccer is 1.48, and men's soccer is 1.07. Now, obviously, you can't have a quarter or a half a person take field. So again, this is done on data and statistical analysis. It's important to note that a lot of these studies that are done overseas in America, so things might be a little bit skewed towards of how many people play in that sport in that country to where the study has taken space. So if we look at the data from the AFL and NRL with specific concussion, it's very limited because as said before, all sports are talked on a global or US base. So trying to find studies for AFL and NRL extremely new and haven't been conducted yet. However, this study did have an Australian rules component and Australian rules football sits at 9.53 per thousand. So for every thousand athlete exposures, it means nearly 11% of players are going to get concussed. This study was used in athlete match hours played over a three-year period and 149 male amateur athletes. So who gets concussed really comes down to the sport that's been played, the type of contact, and where the study's been conducted, how it's been conducted. So hopefully this gives you an overview of the epidemiology and an introduction to concussion. Next episode, we're going to talk about how a cell functions normally and the biology of a cell. So then over the next three to four episodes, even though they'll all seem individual episodes, it's going to build on one another and it's going to give you a clearer picture of what is a concussion, what happens and takes place on a cellular level, and how, as we said at the beginning, it is an energy deficit disorder diagnosed by a process of exclusion. And that concludes today's episode. Even though I'm a registered chiropractor, all the information provided today is based off my interpretation of the research and is of my opinion and my opinion only. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice of your doctors or physician. If you believe you are suffering from something similar or the injuries discussed in today's episode, please contact your medical practitioner. I am your host, Dr. Reese Granger, thank you for listening.